How's everybody doing? Awake, I hope. <laughs> that's not convincing. <laughs> I don't know what that's about, but that's pretty scary, actually. Uh, you all can uh, have a seat real quick. My name is Keith Peters. I'm actually on staff here at Fellowship of Faith. Uh, contrary to popular belief, I am not a pastor. I just want to get that out of the way. I'm going to move this stuff real quick, and I'm going to stand up here. All right, do me a favor. Underneath your chairs, you have a Bible. If you didn't bring one, take it out. And I want you to turn to Leviticus chapter 10. That's where, where I want you to be. I'm going to read you a very confusing passage to start this morning, and I'm going to start with confusion and hopefully lead us to some kind of understanding by the end of me talking. So if you're at Leviticus 10, beginning at verse 1, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, there are chapters, go to number 10. All right, good. It says the following, and I'm just going to read you the first uh, three verses. Aaron's sons, Nadab and Abihu, took their censers, put fire in them, and added incense, and they offered unauthorized fire before the Lord. I would underline that phrase if you, like, take notes, and yeah, do it in the Pew Bible especially. Contrary to his command, I would also, like, highlight that little phrase. So fire came out from the presence of the Lord and consumed them, and they died. Circle the word died, or if you're, like, taking mental notes, take note of that. Before the Lord. Moses then said to Aaron, this is what the Lord spoke when he said, among those who approach me, I will be proved what? Holy. Okay, circle that. Make note of that. In the sight of all the people, I will be honored. Now, this is just weird for a few reasons, right? So these two guys, Nadab and Abihu, are priests. What happens in chapter 8 and chapter 9 of Leviticus and a lot of Exodus is all this priestly stuff. What are priests? What do they do? And why are they important to the message of Leviticus? Because really... That is the thrust of what Leviticus is doing. I want to explain a little bit of this to you this morning. And in order to do that, I need to give you a few insights into the whole perspective of what's going on here. The, the idea that priests have a certain role, and that certain role functions within the realm of what we call holy or holiness. So far, so good? I want to give you three uh, I want to give you three kind of windows into this, but in order to do that, I want to show you another passage. If you've got your Bibles, turn to chapter 11 of Leviticus, if you've still got your finger there. And we're going to be in kind of the center of this passage. So you want to look at like verse 29. This is one of those passages where it's got all of these like, these are the animals that, are, that you can and can't do stuff with, eat, whatever, Okay. So notice what it says, of the animals that move along the ground, they are unclean, circle, underline, highlight, stamp it on your forehead, whatever it takes. Unclean for you, the weasel, the rat, any kind of great lizard, (laughs) the great ones, yes, okay, 
Uh, the gecko, the monitor lizard, the wall lizard, the skink, and the chameleon. Of all those that move along the ground, these are unclean for you. Again, unclean, I would note it. Whoever touches them, when they are dead, I would circle, highlight, again, dead, will be unclean till evening. When one of them dies and falls on something, that article, whatever its use, will be unclean. Whether it is made of wood, cloth, hide, or sackcloth, put it in water. It will be unclean till evening, and then it will be clean. First, clean. Okay, now you've got clean. I would highlight that word. If one of them falls into a clay pot, everything in it will be unclean. Again, unclean. And you must break the pot. Any food you are allowed to eat that has come into contact with water from any such pot is unclean. And any liquid that is drunk from such a pot is unclean. See a pattern? Anything that one of their carcasses, carcass, I would like highlight that, actually. You think I'm joking, but I'm serious. Falls on, becomes unclean. An oven or cooking pot must be broken. They are unclean. And you are to regard them as unclean. My word. It's like OCD about cleanliness, isn't he? Or she. A spring, however, or a cistern for collecting water remains clean. But anyone who touches one of these carcasses is unclean. If a carcass falls on any seeds that are to be planted, they remain clean. But if water has been put on the seed and a carcass falls on it, it is unclean for you. Now, I don't really want you to focus in on all of this random periphery stuff, but I do want you to focus in on a few things. I want you to focus in on these, there's this clean thing and there's this unclean thing. And I don't have my clicker, so you guys are going to have to you know, do my slides. So if you could go to the next slide, I want to give you a perspective of how this works. See, the book of Leviticus breaks things up into these three segments. On the very outside of that box, you see unclean, right? Up in the top. And then you see outside of the camp. And then you see non-Israelites. All of that is in that outside area. See it? Nod like, yes, I'm following the little outline. Very complicated, I know, but stick with me. The next box on the inside, not the very last one, but the middle box, okay? Or the center box, or however you want. That's so, this is very hard to explain. Um, The second ripple. That's a better way. Okay, so like, then you see, moving in a diagonal fashion, you have clean, unclean, holy, right? You have this clean area, and the clean area has the camp, where the Israelites are. Got it? Yeah? Okay, so far so good. And then you have the tabernacle in the very center where that's the holy area and that's where who gets to go? The priests. And even in the holy area, you have the holy of holies. Even the tabernacle itself is broken into three different areas. Now, the point here is this. In the Levitical mind, in the mind of the priests and the Israelites and all these people, there are these three quadrants. There are these three things that you can be. You can be unholy, or you can be clean, you can be unclean, or you can be holy. What does it mean? We're going to start with the clean area, okay? So if you're taking notes, write clean. What does clean mean? Clean and unclean are kind of, 
they're good examples for how I'm going to describe how priests work today, but they're not really the best understanding of what's going on with the uh, clean, unclean stuff. And I'll get to that in a minute. Clean is just a neutral state. All right? I want you to think in literal terms of disease this morning. If I am healthy, right, like right now I'm not sick, but if I come into contact with someone who is sick, I have the potential to contract that disease, right? Yeah, you know how human, unless you're like Superman or something, right? Okay, yeah, that's, I'm susceptible to any kind of sickness at any time. So that, it, it, being clean is not like, all right, I'm awesome. No, you want to be immune from disease, right? You want to not contract disease. Does this make sense? Cleanliness does not, being clean does not do that. It does not make you immune to being unclean. And I'm going to explain what unclean is now. Unclean is like disease in a sense that you can contract it, but it is different. Here's how I want you to think of unclean. Dead. Unclean is being dead. When you read any of these like lists of what is clean and unclean, over and over again, again the theme is death. You see words like carcass. You see words like if it dies. You see that the unclean animals often are preys upon the dead, like the, the birds of prey. They're, they're all, everything that is unclean surrounds this theme of death. They're not unclean because they're going to make you sick. That's where, that's where we miss this, okay? That's where this clean, unclean thing gets lost. It, this is not a, uh, you know, pigs are going to give me some kind of disease. I mean, if that were the category for cleanliness and uncleanliness, chickens should be the first on the list, and they're not, okay? Right? <laughs> Who wants salmonella? Not me, all right? Uh, but that's how this kind of works, is that these things are associated with death. Why? Well, it has to do with sin. Death and sin are synonymous. Unlike most diseases where you can get better, right? Unlike most diseases where we can actually recover, sin is not one of these things. And that's where priests come into play. And that's how we're going to focus on them today. See, to get a good picture of what a priest looked like, I want you to turn to Leviticus 8. And I just want to read a little intro into how Moses begins this thing called consecration of the priests. Now, here's the thing. In the Old Testament, when you see someone coming into contact with God over and over again, one of two things happens. Either they're afraid they're going to die or they do die, right? Yeah, old God, I'm dead, right? Uh, Isaiah does it in Isaiah chapter 6. I'm a man of unclean lips, right? He says that, which basically means I'm dead because I'm, in the, I'm, standing, in the, I'm standing in the presence of holiness. Why? Well, I'm going to explain how this holiness unclean thing works because the real thing that's going on here is not being clean, the real thing that's going on is this holy area in the center and this area on the outside, if they come into contact with each other, death happens. It's not because God's mean. 
It's not because God didn't like Nadab and Abihu. He didn't make the rule. God didn't really kind of make the rules. God can't help it that he's holy. He can't. I mean, have you ever accused God of, man, God, why are you just so stinking holy? You can't, you can't do that with God, can you? No. God is just holy, and we don't understand that. We don't understand how something can just be something, right? But he is, and all this other stuff is the problem. God's holiness is not the problem. It's all the other stuff, and God knows, God sets up this system that we know of as Leviticus because of this. He even says of Israel, I'm going to make you a nation of holy priests, because priests are holy for God, and we're going to understand why, because what are, what are the priests doing? They're going into the presence of God, so they have to be holy. So this is what happens here in Leviticus chapter 8. If you're there, follow along. We're starting at verse 1. I'm just going to read 1 through 4. The Lord said to Moses, bring Aaron and his sons. Okay, these are the sons that we just saw that died, by the way. Nadab and Abihu. Okay, got it? Their garments, the anointing oil, the bull for the sin offering, the two rams, and the basket containing bread made without yeast. And gather the entire assembly at the entrance to the tent of meeting. That's the tabernacle in the center, the tent of meeting. So, so you're this, gather them in the holy area. Moses did as the Lord commanded him, and the assembly gathered at the entrance to the tent of meeting. What's going on here? Well, Moses is preparing to consecrate Aaron and his sons as priests. Why do they have to be consecrated? Why can't Moses just say, God said you're priests? Big deal. All right, why does he go through this elaborate, like, okay, all of the nation come and gather. Here are the priests. Bring all this stuff. A bull. We're about to, you know, slay that bad boy. Okay, we got anointing oil. We're going to do something with that for you priest guys. So, you know, just like this elaborate thing going on, isn't there? Like, this is not just something that you just kind of do on the whim. And if you read all that, those passages in Exodus that we, like, skip over, that are about the priests, you'll see this stuff talked about, the consecration of the priests, where Moses does that in very, very more detail than we have here, actually, in, Levitic, in Exodus. So if you're really interested in that stuff, read the end of Exodus and just kind of look at the headings and you'll see it. And even right now, if you're really curious, you can flip back into Exodus and see what I'm talking about, how priest stuff over and over again. It's not just the building of the tabernacle. It's like the priests who are part of that tabernacle at the end of Exodus. So far, so good? All right, good. Now look at verses 5 through 9 of chapter 8. Moses said to the assembly, this is what the Lord has commanded to be done. Then Moses brought Aaron and his sons forward and washed them with water. Did you notice how some water could not be contaminated by dead things? Right? If a dead carcass fell into it, that passage we read in 11, if it was a big body of water, it's still clean. Which makes us think this is not something that's dealing with disease. Because I don't know about you, if I see something dead in the water next to where I'm going to drink, I'm, I'm not going to do that. Right? I, I know that that's going to make me sick. All right? That's just how it is. He put the tunic on Aaron, verse 7, tied the sash around him, clothed him with a robe, 
put the ephod on him. He also fastened the ephod with a decorative waistband, which he tied around him. He placed the breastpiece on him and put the urm and the thummim in the breastpiece. Then he placed the turban on Aaron's head and he set the gold plate, the sacred emblem, on front of it as the Lord commanded Moses. What is going on? First off, there's like this apparel that has to be put on, right? So they get washed, they wash up, and then they, they, he starts getting dressed, right? Aaron's starting to put on all this garb. I want you to get in your mind, I mean, we look at this and we go like, we think of all this uniform stuff like a, uh, well, like a Catholic priest, don't we? Like, okay, so they're putting on their, like, holy stuff, and even though they're going to go slaughter something, I still associate it with more of, like, what I think of as a priest. These garments are, you know, some kind of, like, sacred garments, and they're just kind of, you know, set up to be, like, a metaphor at best. I don't think so. I think a priest looks more like this. (laughs) You know what this uniform is? You know who gets geared up like this? This is literally what someone who deals with Ebola straps up in. Think I'm joking? I want to read verse 5 through 9 again for you, but I want you to watch this as I do it. Okay, here we go. Moses said to the assembly, this is what the Lord had commanded to be done. Then Moses brought Aaron and his sons forward and washed them with water. He put the tunic on Aaron, tied the sash around him, clothed them with the robe. We'll get to the robe in a minute. This is literally a training video for learning how to suit up for Ebola, by the way. Okay, so far so good? Got it? Let's get to the robe. Okay, got your, yeah, we're dealing with a disease, remember? All right, good. Got to put the turban on, okay? Putting the turban on. Oh, tie that sash around. We'll get to the waist one here in a minute too. See, you would think, oh yeah, see, there it is. Now we're going to this part. Put the, the ephod on over the cloak. You know, like, what is going on? Why all the garb, right? He fastened the ephod with the decorative waistband, which he tied around him. He placed the breastpiece on him, and he put the urim and the thummim in the breastpiece. Then he placed the turban on Aaron's head, and he set the gold plate, the sacred emblem, on front of it. Got it? As the Lord commanded Moses. Okay, now you're getting pretty suited up. You think they're done? I got to put gloves over gloves. What? I'm like, yeah, now someone else inspects you, like Moses has got to put this on him, you know, got to make sure you're set. I mean, these guys look like they're going into a war zone, do they not? I mean, yeah, and it's invisible. They're afraid of something that's invisible. They're getting geared up for something you cannot see. Ebola, you can't see it unless it's like under a microscope, right? Or you Google it and you see it. Oh, that's scary. Look at that thing, right? But these guys, the priests, are doing this exact same thing. They are not getting geared up just for the kicks and giggles. They're not getting geared up just because it's like, woo No, this is really, this is really something that is, you're afraid. A priest is not like, I mean, we think of priests as like, oh, look, I have been assigned this great and, you know, holy role, and I kind of walk around with this, you know, big halo around my head. No, no, no. A priest is like, after I get out of that place, I'm changing my britches. 
That's what it is. I mean, you go in, look at what happened to Nadab and Abihu. That's the kind of fear that God is trying to put into them. Put this stuff on. What have I gotten into? You get suited up like that, you know something's up. Why? Well, I want to give you a few reasons, and it's got to do with this thing called sin. Because here's the thing about a priest. A priest, priests are not necessary if sin does not exist. What does a priest do? A priest deals with sin. He goes into the holy area, and he takes an animal that is pure. And this is what happens. I want you to notice some distinctions. You can read like Leviticus chapter 6, where they talk about some of these offerings, or Leviticus chapter 4. And what you'll see is that in these offerings, priests have to do certain things. There's two parts of the animal that are important to the sin. One is the blood. The other is the carcass, all right? Everything that's left over, basically. Notice what a priest does. A priest takes the, the uh, animal, the goat, the bull, whatever. It kills it. He kills it. He takes the blood and he sprinkles it everywhere. I just put this stuff everywhere. Put it everywhere. Put it everywhere, right? Then what does he do? He takes the carcass that's left over and he does two different things with it. If you are still in Leviticus... I want to read to you um, verses 10 through 17. 8, 10 through 17. Then Moses took the anointing oil and anointed the tabernacle and everything in it and so consecrated them. He sprinkled some of the oil on the altar seven times, anointing the altar and all its utensils and the basin with its stand to consecrate them. He poured some of the anointing oil on Aaron's head and anointed him to consecrate him. Then he brought Aaron's sons forward, put tunics on them, tied sashes around them, and fastened caps on them, just as he had done Aaron earlier, as the Lord commanded Moses. He then presented the bull for the sin offering, and Aaron and his sons laid their hands on its head. Moses slaughtered the bull and took some of the blood with his fingers. He put it on all the horns of the altar to purify the altar. Now, we think of purifying with water, right? Or like maybe a chlorine mixture, okay? It's blood here. He poured out the rest of the blood at the base of the altar. So he consecrated it to make atonement for it. Moses also took all the fat around the internal organs, the long lobe of the liver, and both kidneys and their fat, and burned it on the altar. But the bull, with its hide and its flesh and its intestines, he burned up outside the camp. What is outside the camp, by the way? It's unclean. What does he take out there to burn? Carcass, right? As the Lord commanded. Now, what else does a priest do? A priest also eats part of the sacrifice. What is a priest doing? It's It's disposing of death. A priest is everything from slaughter to burial. A priest deals with death. I want to read you this passage again, and I want you to watch this. You can start it. Then Moses took the anointing oil, anointed the tabernacle and everything in it, and so consecrated them. He sprinkled some of the oil on the altar seven times, anointing the altar and all of its utensils and the basin with its stand. 
to consecrate them. He poured some of the anointing oil on Aaron's head and anointed him to consecrate him. Then he brought Aaron's sons forward, put tunics on them, tied sashes around them, and fastened caps on them as the Lord commanded Moses. He then presented the bull for the sin offering, and Aaron and his sons laid their hands on its head. Moses slaughtered the bull and took some of the blood with his finger. He put it on the horns of the altar to purify the altar. He poured out the rest of the blood at the base of the altar. So he consecrated it to make atonement for it. Moses also took all the fat around the internal organs, the long lobe of the liver, both kidneys, and their fat, and burned it on the altar. But the bull, with its hide and its flesh and its intestines, he burned up outside the camp as the Lord commanded Moses. So what are they doing? When you see a bull, you don't see a bull. When you see a goat, you don't see a goat. You see yourself dead. I mean, we don't get that. We, look, we read this stuff and we, we just kind of go, yeah, okay, I kind of see the... Meta- no, 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 no. It's as scary as that for them. You got to get that in your head. Being holy, being clean, being unclean, this is real stuff. You see people die because of it. And that is what we see when we see these animals. You would be watching this happen and you would be picturing all of this happening to you. Isn't that weird? But here's the difference between sin and disease. A disease you can recover from sin, you don't. Sin is just death. So what does God do? He creates a system to where death can be contained although sin still exists. And that's what we get with these sacrifices. These sacrifices are synonymous with how we see ourselves and how we deal with sin. Are we confused? If anything, you need to understand holiness is life. Uncleanness is death. All right? And we're stuck in the middle. And we might be clean, but we've got this thing called sin. And sin is going to result in death in a literal way for us, right? But, but it goes deeper than that, does it not? I mean, what do you do with this? How do you deal with this fact that priests do this? Well, the New Testament picks up on this theme, and I want to give you a few examples of this. See, you remember in Exodus where God comes down from the mountain and tabernacles with his people, right? There's that tabernacle we built, and God's up on Sinai, and he comes down and dwells among them, right? Now, the tabernacle is the holy place, There's this interesting thing that happens in John 1, verse 14. It says, the Lord, Jesus, the Word, W-O-R-D, the Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. Now, I would encourage you to read that verse in as many different translations. John 1, 14, read that verse in as many different translations as you can. Actually, I would actually encourage you the message version, which is kind of a contemporary paraphrase. It says this, the word became flesh and moved into the neighborhood. What is it doing? The word there, dwelt, moved into the neighborhood, however you want to translate it, is tabernacled. That's the word. The word became flesh and tabernacled among us. The same thing that happened on Sinai, Jesus does. Why is that important? Well, because the word became what? Flesh. The same word that's used for animal carcasses, the same word that's used for people's flesh, the word became that kind of flesh. Why is this important? Well, it's all got to do with sin. It's all got to do with sin. God becomes flesh 
and moves into the neighbor. He moves into our neighborhood. Why? Well, for a few reasons. I would encourage you to turn to uh, Hebrews chapter 4. If you want to really understand what's going on in Leviticus, Hebrews, man, it'll blow you away. That's what it's all about. If if you were ever confused by this, you go to Hebrews, and it just starts talking about all these Levitical things in a new light. All right, you want to be in 4, verse 15. Just verse 15. It's toward the end of the Bible. Yeah, tucked in there. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are, yet he did not, what do you got? Sin. Who's the high priest they're talking about? Well, it's Jesus. Okay, big, whoo, I didn't see that coming. Okay, yeah, so Jesus is the high priest. He can sympathize with our weakness because he was tempted like we are, yet he did not what? Sin. That is different. That does not happen. When you are tempted, you do sin. Even if you don't all the time, you do sometime, right? We just, it's inevitable. That's what sin does. It's like you can't get away from it. It's almost like it's in you. It's almost like it's, you're walking around with a low-grade version of sin the whole time, right? It's, it's like if you get malaria, you can't give blood, you know what I mean? Like, that's what sin's like. You might have recovered, but it's still there. You know what I mean? Not for this Jesus who took on flesh and moved in to the neighborhood of sin. For some reason, when Jesus comes, guess what? Sin's like, it can't stick to him. It's like he's immune. It's like he's the, the magic antidote to sin. And as much as like Satan's like trying to pummel, pummel him with it, it's like Jesus is just like, it, it just, it doesn't, you know, whatever. He's like Wolverine or something. You know what I mean? Only people who are X-Men people understand that joke. You know what I mean? Like, I'm not going to explain the Wolverine thing. Go look up Wolverine, okay? If you don't understand what Wolverine's power is, then I pity you. But that's kind of how Jesus is, all right? He, he's like this thing that it, sin just doesn't mess with. It's like it's trying. It's doing its best. So you know what has to happen? The only thing that can happen is that, well, I'll do the next best thing. I'll just kill the guy. Well, what's sin synonymous with? Death. So what have you just done? You've killed an innocent individual who was not sin but became sin. How did he become sin? He was sinless. He died. Death is synonymous with sin. He became sin for us. Isn't that like just mind-blowing? Well, maybe just for me. Okay, look at um, verse chapter 7 of Hebrews still. Yeah, we're still in Hebrews. And you want to be 20, uh, yeah, 26, starting at verse 26. Uh, actually, go to 23. Okay. I want to read this. Now, there have been many of those priests since death prevented them from continuing in office. But because Jesus lives forever, he has a permanent priesthood. Therefore, he is able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. Such a high priest truly meets our need. One who is holy, blameless, pure, Set apart, that's another way to say holy. 
How many times can I, different ways can I say it? Set apart from who? Sinners. Exalted above the heavens. Unlike the other high priests, he does not need to offer sacrifices day after day. First for his own sins. We just saw why that's true. And then for the sins of the people, he sacrificed for their sins once for all when he offered himself. For the law appoints as high priest men in all their weaknesses. But the oath which came after the law appointed the son who has been made perfect forever. Now, hone in on chapter 8, verses 1 through 2. Now, the main point of what we are saying is this. Don't you love it when an author does that? Okay, now let me tell you what I'm really trying to say here. We do not have such a high priest who sat down at the right... We do have such a high priest who sat down at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven. Now, here's the thing. You think, okay, okay, great. We do have such a high priest that, you know, walked into the throne room and sat down next to God. Big deal. Nuh-uh. Not, it is a big deal. You know why? Because what did we see priests do before they entered into the Holy of Holies, which is where that throne room is, by the way, that this high priest is entering. They get suited up. They have to sacrifice a bull because, man, if I have any sin, I'm going to die. If, do this. Compare the sacrifice for the entire nation of Israel. It's a goat, by the way. Hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people to the sacrifice for the one guy who has to walk into that place. It's a huge stinking bull. You get a goat for all those people and you get a bull for one guy. Is that not like, wait a minute, don't you think it's all got to do with the presence of holiness? You got to really be holy. And it's not just a bull for me, it's my whole family better be holy because if anything's not right in my family, I'm dead. So they sacrifice this bull to walk in. Jesus doesn't do that. He doesn't need to make a sacrifice for himself. He just, he walks in like he owns the place. And what else does a priest do? He walks in and he does not look upon God. You know, you ever read about this thing called incense in the Leviticus? Incense, they would make this incense before they would walk into the Holy of Holies. The incense was supposed to be like a cloud so I couldn't look upon God. You know, the Ark of the Covenant's in there. And those two little cherubim, that's where God's throne is. Literally, that's what they associated with it. So the priests would walk in and have this whole cloud thing hiding God. Not Jesus. He walks in. I see you. I'm sitting down. A priest doesn't sit down. A priest goes in, does his business, gets out. Jesus takes up residence there. He moves in to God's neighborhood. He moved into our neighborhood. He moves in God. That's the priest we have. Is that not just mind-blowing? That a priest would be something more than what we see in Leviticus? It's almost like, you know what it's almost like? It's almost like all that stuff was really about Jesus. It's almost like all that stuff was a shadow of what God really had in mind. It was a foreshadowing. You know what foreshadowing is? You read any books? You know how authors do that? They'll talk about something and then it points to something later and you're like, whoa, that's awesome. Didn't see that coming, but I should have because he foreshadowed that earlier. That's the Bible. God does that too. That's what this is. You get it? Yeah, isn't that awesome? I want to do one more thing here. Turn to 2 Corinthians. You know there were so many references to Leviticus in the New Testament. 5. We're doing a little bit of biblical gymnastics this morning. I apologize in advance. And we're going to end here. You want to be in 5 verse 21. 
So God, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. We do not walk into the presence of God fearful. Priest intercedes between you and God by death. That's what a priest does, whether it's Leviticus or it's Jesus. You can be in God's sphere, you can be in God's contact only because of what the priest does. That's what a priest does. He takes death, which is really you, you think it's an animal, but it's really you that a priest is dealing with, and he takes care of that. Whether it's in Leviticus or whether it's Jesus, it's both are doing the same thing, only Jesus does it better. Jesus is superior to the Levitical sacrifices, as the author of Hebrews will say, because they had to keep doing it. And because they had to keep doing it, obviously that wasn't God's intent, as the author of Hebrews will say. He had something better in mind. He was just giving you a little taste, a little window into what he really had planned. He gave you a little picture of Jesus with Leviticus. That's what he did. Isn't that awesome? There's this thing that would happen prior to all the stuff that would go on in the tabernacle with the burnt offering, the sin offering, all this stuff. There was this period of consecration. You know what would happen during this period of consecration? It was a time of repentance. If you read on in Leviticus 8 and 9, Moses and his sons have to like stay away from everybody for a whole week. They can't come into contact with anyone because it's like this consecration period. What do you do during that time? Well, you reflect on man, I got to get rid of all this junk because if I, if I don't make sure that I'm just like spot on, I'm dead, literally. We have this tradition, stand up, we have this tradition in uh, our sphere where we do something similar. It's called confession. When we approach God, one of the things we like to do right away is in the vein or in the, it, it, it's in the spirit of what happens in Leviticus. You come before God and you confess your sins before him. Yet, it's not exactly the same. We have someone who intercedes for us perfectly. We do not, we do not have to fear death because death has lost its power. Death has lost its sting as the New Testament says. What I want you to do now is just take a moment and realize the impact because I don't think we think of sin this way, do we? Sins like this, you know, it has, I, it's almost like because Jesus took care of it, I don't really have the understanding of how big this thing is, how deadly this thing is, how powerful this thing is. Sin's still like Ebola. It's worse. It still kills. Still has power. Still packs a punch. And that's what sin is. And we need, to, we need to be fully aware of that because if we think sin is like this nothing little thing, Jesus' sacrifice meant nothing. A pure, holy priest sacrifice had to take the place. And if you watched bull after bull and ram after ram and goat after goat slaughtered before your eyes, not picturing a goat's face, but picturing your own, when Jesus took that cross... And when he died, and when they fully understood the impact of that as the author of Hebrews, that was something powerful. No more seeing myself slaughtered before. 
It's not a bull, it's me. I don't have to be slaughtered over and over and over again, right? Take a moment. Come with that junk. Come with that garbage. Come with that disease called sin and just lay it before God right now. God, sin still sucks. It's still here. You may have you may have dealt it a death blow, but it has a slow and agonizing death. Still abides in me and all of us. God, I thank you for the promise that one day this thing that we know as sin will be no more. That you have made the down payment on it. You have paid the price in full. And even though the devil has yet to collect, the money's in the bank. God, I just pray that as we come before you with our sin, that we would take heart in that. That as deadly as this thing is that confronts us, we have a perfect priest who intercedes, who mediates, who brings everything that's necessary. He's not clean, he's holy. He's the, he's holy of holy. Thank you, God. May we understand the full impact of that and may we understand that our sins are forgiven. Amen.